Uh, would have been in uh, probably in the fall, uh, this last fall, and uh, dear friend uh, Nathan Edwardson, who was here last year, uh, connected us, and um, and just really, uh, I just really, I went and I'm like, oh, who is this Michael guy? And so I went to his blog, and I started to read, and I and I just immediately fell in love with his writing. Immediately knew that there was something that really uh, was the same language and same DNA. And uh, Michael was a, a pastor for many years from San, in San Francisco, uh, pastored, I think, for over 30 years, um, and, and really did a lot of works in San Francisco, was a, a district pastor, pastor to pastors for many years, um, and then uh, moved into uh, Reading uh, and was involved, has an office out of Bethel Church, but also uh, for four years was involved with Jesus Culture. And, uh, was involved in their cultural project and developing their curriculum. And um, he's, I've read his book, Revival Culture, and he's got some books at the back that I really encourage you to get. And uh, just love the heart and love what he carries. And so we're really honored. We're really honored to have him. He's been pouring into our team. Uh, we're spending some time with him this weekend and just uh, being equipped. And he's asking us good questions. And uh, so I know you're going to enjoy it. So why don't you give a really warm welcome to Michael Broder. Wow. Hi, everybody. It is so good to be with you. And um, what a great time of worship, just feeling the presence of God together. And, and also, you know, just the, the word that just kept going through my mind is behold, how good and how pleasant it is. You guys know that passage, Psalm 133? I'm sure you guys have been over it a lot, but behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. That's one of the things I love about Resurgence is just the fact that you're all from different churches and you're gathered together under one name, which is the name of Jesus. What a powerful thing, amen? I mean, it's such an awesome thing that you guys get to connect with one another and begin to build that fabric of kingdom uh, culture here in Edmonton. I'm just so impressed with what God's doing and just the different things that I see, you know, as I'm here. Yeah, my name is Michael. I come from a land down under. Um, I think uh, I think United States is kind of like the basement of Canada, right? <laughs> like we're kind of the root cellar, right? We're the uh, we're the uh, I don't know, maybe the tornado uh, refuge underneath. No. But um, it is kind of an honor to be here in Canada. I've been in Canada actually twice this month. And so I'm, um, you know, it's, but it's odd because I feel like you're so much like me as an American, but then we're, we're different. We're from a different country. So I have to get used to this, you know. But anyway, it's a pleasure to be with you. And let me just tell a little bit about myself. Um, yeah, I was a pastor in San Francisco for a lot of years. In fact, I grew up in San Francisco. And I was raised by hippie parents in the 70s. You guys remember a thing called the hippie movement, right? And my parents moved to San Francisco in 1960 to be basically rebels. They, they wanted to get away from all things pertaining to, uh, they were from actually Minnesota. They wanted to get away from Midwestern traditionalism. And uh, they moved to San Francisco. And my dad was an artist, my mom was an artist. They divorced when I was young, and so I lived back and forth between them. And then the summer of love hit, and they got swept up into that. And so we ran a communal house in San Francisco with all kinds of strange people, um, you know, draft dodgers and, uh, 
and uh, you know, just guru followers and people like that, New Agers. And um, so I never heard the gospel of Jesus at all. And it was, it was actually about, maybe I started traveling around the country at 15. I started hitchhiking, you know, and that was sort of a standard way of getting around back in those days. But it was also a standard methodology for evangelism. So there's a bunch of people, like the Jesus freaks, they would just drive around waiting for somebody to stick their thumb out. They'd pick you up. And then you had a captive audience. You know, it's like, wow. So I had some unusual rides and uh, got witness to a lot. And I really learned how to hone my skills of arguing with, with Christians. But there was this one day when I was hitchhiking up to a place called Mendocino. And, and I got basically six rides in a row with believers. And it was just a shocking you know, thing that I finally got out of the last car, you know. And I was in this little town called Boonville. And I got out of the car and I looked up and I said, oh, great spirit, surely you don't want me to become a Christian. You know, it's like I was just, you know, aware of the coincidence of having six rides in a row. And then this car pulls up and this woman ends up, you know, inviting me in and takes me for, you know, 26 miles and shares the gospel with me. She ended up be becoming my mother in the Lord. She led me to Christ. And she was an amazing woman named Sabina Ball who uh, has since passed away. She uh, died about three years ago at 82 years old after a night of witnessing to skinheads on the streets of Dresden in Germany. I mean, could you imagine 82 years old and she's still going strong? See, that would be my prayer for all of you is that, I mean, you're so, so young and beautiful. You know, you're such like, you know, hip and lovely, you know, people. But I'd love to see you when you're all wrinkled, you know, <laughs> serving Jesus with as much passion as you have today. In fact, with more passion. That's, that's my my heart's desire. But anyway, so I ended up giving my life to Jesus. And uh, that was when I was 17 in 1975. So you can do the math. And uh, anyway, I ended up actually having a vision right after that where the Lord really spoke to me. And, and, uh, but I had no foundation. I, I just didn't have a church to go to. I had no, no real foundation in the Lord. And so uh, it took me about a year. About a year later, I was hitchhiking up to a thing called the Rainbow Gathering a big hippie gathering, and this one happened to be just south of here in Mo Montana. And um, I, I was going to this gathering, and I met some Blackfoot Indians. And it turns out that they were believers. And uh, the first guy I met was named Tiny Man Heavy Runner. <laughs> so I'm not kidding you. His good friend was from Calgary, and his name was Daryl Still Smoking. <laughs> that was his. No, seriously. And um, Tiny Man was not a believer. But his grandparents were. His grandparents had come to the Lord through a personal visitation of Jesus. So they were in a bar. The old guy was, he was much younger at the time. He was in his 40s. And, but his stomach had been basically dissolved from eating bad, or drinking bad liquor. So he was passing blood and the doctors gave him like three weeks to live. So he went to a bar to drink himself to death. And Jesus appeared in the bar. And everybody saw him. Everybody saw Jesus. And people dove under tables, and they ran out screaming, and, and Jesus said, sober up and follow me. And the guy did. And he began a ministry, actually, that went from about Calgary to Great Falls, and just did tremendous. I mean, I met hundreds of people that were healed through his ministry, and I got to see miracles as a young hippie kid, you know, because I was just basically, you know, it was just the perfect thing. God, God arranged a perfect transformational environment for me. Lived with him for about six months. And, uh, and that set me on my course. And that was actually about 40 years ago. 
And, um, and anyway, so, but he, they sent me out. They said, you need to get training. So I just said, well, where do I go? And I started investigating things. They didn't have an internet back in those days. So you had to do a lot of other things to try to find out information. Anyway, I found out about a group that was planting a church in San Francisco. And they did on-the-job ministry training. And so I ended up going to their ranch. They had a big ranch in California. And, and I went through about six months of training with them and then went with this team down back to my city. And we started a church in 1977. And that um, became my training ground. And so that was my initial experience. I, I got to actually basically do a lot of what Resurgence is doing. I got to gather the church together. That was my biggest passion. In fact, my, my pastor just said, you know, I'm so, I'm so burnt out, the guy who was starting the church. He just said, just do whatever's in your heart. And I said, I have a heart for unity. That's my thing, you know. And here I was like a 22-year-old kid with long hair. And, and um, so I started actually going to every single pastor in San Francisco to pull together a big church picnic where we do worship together in the park, Golden Gate Park. And, um, and the final guy I went to was named Larry, Larry Rosenbaum. And Larry said, I'll do your picnic with you if you go out on the streets with me the next week. And so that's how we started this thing called SOS, San Francisco. And we mobilized about 10,000 believers over the next 10 years to share their faith in San Francisco. We'd go out and just worship and invite the Holy Spirit into different parts of San Francisco. And we had riots and, you know, beautiful moments of being beat up and held up at gunpoint and things like that. But the neat thing about it is I got to meet my wife. My wife was a YWAMer. She uh, heard about our outreach, and so she, she came up to San Francisco. And, um, and literally, like, when I saw her, it was just, that was it, you know. So I'm just praying, you know, <laughs> for Travis. No, <laughs> some point, no. But seriously, like... You know, I was, I was actually a bachelor till the rapture. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that club. But that was my club, you know. And, um, but when I met Diane, it's like it all crumbled. It was like, okay. And so we've been married 35 years. We have seven children that we raised on the mission field of San Francisco, which, by the way, has less Christians per capita than, than India. And uh, no, seriously, it does. <laughs> so, um, and so we had a really good time. Uh, I, I, I worked for the, with that church for seven years, and then I met a guy named John Wimber, and we planted a vineyard church that became the largest church that the city had seen in a generation, and, and I was with them for 15 years and also oversaw all of Northern California with the, the vineyard, and then we sort of went our own way after a certain period of time and then met up with uh, the guys from Bethel, and now I've been working with them, and I get to teach in the school, which is very fun. Um, so we left the city in 2010 after 33 years in San Francisco as a minister. And, um, and so I've been really, you know, I worked for Jesus Culture for a few years, and now I'm teaching in the school and doing this thing called Pastor's Coach. So I get to travel all around the world working with leaders and pastors and movement leaders to kind of help them just be more effective in terms of what they're doing, just to be a coach and a friend and a support. So I have a good life. It's fun. And I'm so happy to be here. I just love you guys. I, seriously, just meeting your team that, you know, just uh, I'm, I'm so impressed with the quality of the, of the team that God has raised up over resurgence and just the way in which they're bringing the body of Christ together in Edmonton. Just a beautiful, powerful thing.
So anyway, it's a joy to be here. Um, I have written a couple books, and I do have, I only have like 10 copies apiece. But this one's called Destiny Finder, and it's really a lot of my story, but it's also um, a tool that we've developed. It's online called at destinyfinder.com, where we help you discover your spiritual gifting and your calling and your passion in Christ. And then we, we have a whole new section that's coming online probably in about two months that's also going to help you kind of build sort of a, a pathway to achieve what God has for you. And so um, that's, that's, this book is, is fun. And then uh, right after that, I wrote another book with Banning Leapshire from Jesus Culture. And also Bill Johnson put in a, a chapter as well, which was a real blessing. And it's really about preparing for the coming harvest. I don't know if you guys have heard this story or the, uh, the prophecies about a billion soul harvest. You guys heard about that? See, I really believe that we're on the verge of something. I, I believe that the Lord moves in cycles and waves, and I believe that it's been a while since we've seen a major harvest, but I believe that God's about to do something amazing. And it's, a, it's phenomenal because even back to the Azusa revival 100 years ago, 110 years ago, there was prophecies at that time that God was going to move in about 100 years and that there would be a billion souls that would come to Christ. And then even throughout the years, you know, the, the whole... You know, centuries since that time, there's been different men and women who have had words of prophecy, and even people that weren't necessarily charismatic, like a guy named Bill Bright. I don't know if you know Campus Crusade for Christ, but Bill's, you know, he wasn't particularly charismatic, but he was a, a fasting, praying leader, and God spoke to him about this kind of harvest. I believe we're on the verge of it, but I believe we're also uh, tremendously not ready. And so, you know, because if you just do the math, I mean, just the basic math, you know, if we're talking about Edmonton, and let's say there's an even million people living here, and think about uh, our share. What would be our share of a billion soul harvest? Have you thought about that? Because a billion souls in a planet of 7 billion is roughly 15%. So if we're talking about 150,000 people coming to Christ in Edmonton, you know, there's no need for pastors to compete anymore. <laughs> There's probably not enough pews and not enough seats and enough buildings to actually care for 150,000 new babies in Christ. And there's certainly not enough ministers to be able to change the dirty, dirty diapers on, on 150,000. Because 150,000 people that come to Christ, guess what? They're actually going to be mostly young because revival is almost mostly young. It's, it's generally about 75% young. And most of them will be people that have gone through a lot of the stuff that you know about. The immorality, the drugs, the, the brokenness, the, the rebellion, the, the, you know, they're going to be, they're going to need a lot of care. And I believe that's why resurgence is existing, is to just really raise up a generation that can really be guides, be coaches, be, be pastoring. Because ultimately, if you think about it, it's like, how many, how many pastors will it take to pastor a billion souls? Okay, if you just do a simple math at a 1 per 100 ratio, which is the average church in the world, it roughly works out to be 10 million new pastors to pastor a billion souls. That's pretty awesome. I don't think we can do it, you know. Well, that, that's, the, that's the bad news, but the good news is, is that every one of us is drafted. In other words, every one, it's, it's all hands on deck, you know. And so if you think about 10 million new, new, new leaders, new pastors, that's a thousand Bible schools turning out a thousand graduates a year for 10 years. Come on, we got to get ready, you guys. The babies are coming. You know, let's get ready. Let's do something about it. Okay, so anyway, that's, uh, so these are available. But anyway, um, hey, open your Bibles with me. We're going to get into some scripture tonight, and then we're going to, I don't know exactly what we're going to do because. 
because I had something entirely different in mind, but I went to that prayer meeting earlier, and God just kind of gave me a, a you know, 90 degree shift. I got a little whiplash in the spirit because now I, w- I want to go in a whole different direction, so we'll see what the Lord does. It was actually somebody started praying this passage. It was, uh, they, they prayed uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I just thought, that's what, what I should talk about tonight. Come on. So, you know, and having been a pastor for a lot of years, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the differences being an itinerant minister now is that you can basically hone about t- seven to ten messages really nicely. But when you're a pastor, you can't get away with that. You know what I mean? So if, if you preach the same message over and over again, people are going to leave your church. So, so I have actually 1,400 like, independent recorded messages, having been a pastor in one church for like 25 years. So um, anyway, my sad story. <laughs> Seven kids, you guys. We just started empty nesting. I mean, Seriously. We just started empty nesting. My wife and I are really enjoying, you know, that, the liberties that come from not having kids in the house. You know, it's like, it's a revelation. Seriously. Can't wait for all of you to get there, you know. Of course, it'll be another 30 years for many of you. Um, okay, I'm trying to find Ephesians. One of the hardest parts about preaching is trying to turn in your Bible when you're actually talking. You know, it's like, okay, wait a minute. Get me there, please. All right. Well, thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for your presence. Let's just close our eyes and just take a a deep breath of the Lord's presence right now. Let me hear you just breathe in. Inspiration, that's what the word means. Lord, we just receive you right now. We ask, Lord, that you would energize our hearts and our minds and that you would speak to us from your word, and that you would transform us tonight, Lord, that we would take another step in the transformation process. And I just pray for every single person in this room, Lord, that you would transform us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me begin with a story. I don't, probably some of you have heard this story. It's a kind of a standard children's story, but it's a story called Stone Soup. How many of you have heard of Stone Soup? Okay. Well, this is my version of it. There's a bunch of, I, I researched it, and there's a bunch of different versions, but here's mine. Is that there was a war in the land, and uh, there was a, an invasion of an evil army that had come in to try to take over this, this you know, nice, peaceful kingdom. And so they mobilized all the young men, and they went out to war, and they fought and pushed back the enemy and actually eradicated the darkness from the land. And so the story takes place right after the victory, right after the surrender of the enemy forces. And these three soldiers are walking back to their homeland, you know, where they're from, the city that they're from. And they're walking through a series of villages to get home. And they're, they're, they ran out of food. They're starting to get hungry. And they see this village on the horizon. They walk to the village. They enter the village. And they just, you know, they had just liberated the village. And so they went to the first house and just knocked on the door and said, please, you know, we just fought on your behalf. We just vanquished the enemy. All we want is just a little bit of food. Can you please share with us? And the people behind the door didn't even open the door. They just yelled out from behind the door saying, no, we don't have anything to share. We only have enough for our family. Will you please move on? And so they kind of, you know, were saddened by it, but they just said, okay, there's another house. They went to the next house, knocked on the door, the same response. People said, no, we have too many children. We only have enough for ourselves. Please don't bother us anymore. 
So they went to the next house, the same answer, the next house, and the same answer. And pretty soon they were just like heartbroken because here they had risked their lives to, to deliver this, this village from the enemy. And here they are now coming back just to receive a little bit of help on the way home. And nobody's willing to help. And they understood, they understood that when there's warfare, people get freaked out. They, they end up becoming afraid and they end up becoming, uh, you know, uh, not selfish, but they, they become just concerned about their own needs and not about the needs of others. And so what happened was is that, that they just didn't know what to do. So they, they, they saw a public square, you know, and all the houses were around the public square. They went into the public square and they gathered some wood. And they built a tripod and they, they found an old pot that had been abandoned. And they brought the pot over and they filled it with water from the central well. And they ended up setting the pot over a, a flame. And they were... And the different houses began to part, and people were looking out like, what are these guys doing? This is really weird. And then one of them, I'll call him Travis, he ends up going and uh, grabbing a rock, and he washes it off in, in the well water, and he brings it over and kind of holds it up really high. And it's a stone, you know, and he looks at it, and then he just drops it right in the pot. And then he starts stirring the pot. And pretty soon, you know, the curtain starts to part, a door cracks open, you, first you see a nose and then a head sticking out. And, and one of the, the first house that he had gone to, actually, they began to walk out and walk over to this public square and to kind of walk up to the pot and say, what are you cooking? He said, it's a really special dish called stone soup. He said, well, how's it tasting? He says, let me see. He tastes it. It's really good. But it could sure use an onion. And the guy says, well, I got an onion at my house. So he runs back to his house, and he chops up an onion, and he brings it out and throws it in the pot. And pretty soon the next door opens, and the people come out of that house. And what are you cooking? Well, it's called stone soup. Well, let me, you know, how does it taste? And he says, it's really good, but it could sure use a hunk of meat. Actually, we, read, we ate at a restaurant called Meat yesterday. It was a really good place, you know. Let's hear it for Meat, yeah. <laughs> anyway, but Meat, okay, so they throw Meat in, and then pretty soon, you know, the next house comes, and, you know, how's it tasting? Oh, it's pretty good, but it could sure use a carrot. You know, well, I got a couple carrots at my house and potatoes, and pretty soon somebody's coming with the garlic, and somebody's coming with the Brussels sprouts, and somebody's, and pretty soon they have this massive uh, stew that's cooking on this fire, and pretty soon the whole village has come out and is gathered around, and they enjoy this incredible feast together. It's called stone soup. And I feel like that's the picture that comes into my heart when I think about resurgence is I feel like here, you know, a few leaders, you know, saw the warfare. They saw the intensity of this land. They saw what's going on. And they said, you know what? Let's do something. Let's, let's, let's get a pot and let's start cooking something. And let's see who comes out. Let's see what they bring. Let's see if we can actually break the power of the isolation that comes because of the warfare that is in all of our lives, the intensity and the, and the, the uh, scheduling and the, the um, scarcity of time and energy and money that keeps us isolated in our own little worlds, keeps us kind of behind our own little walls. Let's see if we can break that down. Let's see if we can gather a group of like-hearted people 
who can bring transformation. I want you to look at this passage of Scripture with me in Ephesians chapter 1. It's, it's an amazing passage. I mean, uh, you know, you guys understand that Ephesians, if there is, if, if the Bible is a series of mountain ranges, then I think Ephesians is kind of like the Himalaya. You know, it's like, it's like the biggest and most awesome mountains in my estimation. I love this book, and I get to teach it pretty regularly. But, you know, just if you just look at verse 3, just for a second, because we're not going to even talk about verse 3, but just one verse, one isolated verse, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. I mean, just that one verse alone is worth the cost of admission, right? I mean, it's just phenomenal. But then it goes on from there and starts talking about your identity in Christ. Who are you? About Christ in you and his presence in your life. He starts talking about your inheritance. He starts talking about all of the blessings. He's just unpacking this incredible treasure chest of beautiful jewels and, and, and you know, crowns and, and uh, rings and you know, ornaments of different kinds. I mean, it's just the most glorious um, 15 verses. And then at the end of this, I mean, Paul is so taken up, you know, writing this thing that he finally just breaks into a prayer. And that's where we want to start is at the prayer that he begins to pray here. And it says in in chapter 1, around verse 15, it says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Therefore, on the basis of everything that I've said up to this moment about who you are in Christ, who Christ is in you, what he has given you to be able to fulfill his purposes on the earth, that in the light of all of that, this is what I'm saying to you. Okay? This is what I'm saying to you. And and this is why I'm praying. So he, he says... I make mention of you in my prayers, giving thanks. First of all, look at verse 17. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And you guys have heard teaching on this passage many times. But this idea that the knowledge of Jesus is the key to everything that we're longing for. It's really all about him. It's not about a truth. It's not about even Scripture itself, except insofar as Scripture illuminates Christ in us. This idea of a living God that we have a living relationship with, it's not a religion, it's a person, and we get to know Him. And that word knowledge, the knowledge of Him, that word knowledge is the experiential knowledge. It's a very special derivative of the word knowledge in the Greek. It means to actually have a relationship. To know him. And where does that relationship come? It comes through two specific things. Okay? Wisdom and revelation. And wisdom is an interesting word because wisdom is all about applied knowledge. In other words, I live out the truth that I gain from Scripture. And in the process of living it out, I get to know him. Wisdom. Wisdom is applied knowledge. You know, Jesus said, it's not those who hear my word, but those who do my word. Okay, and if you want to know how to pronounce my name, an easy, cheap way to do it is bro, a bro, I'm a bro who's a doer of the word. Come on. Give me a break, you know. That's that's what some of my interns would call a dad joke, okay. So just give me a break there. All right. I'm a bro who's a doer. Now, again, if you're French-Canadian like I am, it's a bro-deux. But um, that's a little different. Anyway, 
but I'm a bro who's a doer. You know, it's like Jesus said, the person who hears my word and doesn't do it is like somebody who built their house on the sand. And the rains came and the floods came and it fell over. But the person who does my word, that's the person who has wisdom. But wisdom is not enough. The word of God is not enough because ultimately we also, in simultaneous portions, we need revelation. We need to actually have the very presence of the living God dwell in me. And that's a little bit, I think, what we're going to talk about tomorrow night. But the idea that Jesus would say to us, it is to your benefit that I go away. What? I mean, I can't think of a better life to have lived than a life that spent time with Jesus on this planet. But he said, no, there's something better. It's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I go away and the Holy Spirit comes, he will dwell inside of you. And he will guide you into all truth. Can you imagine how, from God's perspective, how much better it is to have God living in us than God living among us? It's just a phenomenal thing. And that is what, you know, convinces me that there's much, much more than what we've tasted so far. And that's why more is such a great word. I love the word more. All right. So wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding, and this is what was quoted in the prayer meeting today. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened or opened that you may know three specific things. Okay, and so I want to talk about these three things because I think they're germane, they're, they're important, they're essential to what resurgence is and what God wants to do in the Edmonton area. Here's what he says, is that, you're, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that could be named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He's put all things under his feet. He's given him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, the Apostle Paul is the master of run-on sentences. <laughs> I don't know if you guys got that, but there's no punctuation. He just goes on and on. I think he, he really waxes eloquent and, and uh, just keeps going. Okay, so that's why we need to kind of break it down a little bit. Okay, there's three things that Paul is praying. There's three things that he wants us to know. The first one is, what is the hope of his calling? The second is, what is the, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And the third one is, what is the greatness of his power towards us who believe? Okay, there's three specific things. And I want to talk about them because they all intertwine. Okay, the first one is, what is the hope of his calling? Okay, now some people would say, well, that's about God's calling, that God has a calling. And actually, I don't think that's the case. I, I really think it's about our calling, that God himself has called us. Now, when you look into the Greek and you understand the word calling, a calling is an invitation. It's a summons. And when a king summons you, you better go. Okay? You are called. And it's God's calling of you to be with him forever, to walk with him forever. But guess what? The journey to forever doesn't begin the moment you die. It begins the moment you're born again. See, eternal life doesn't start the moment you pass from this life. It started the moment that the very Spirit of God came inside of you and dwelt inside of you. That amazing activity you call being born again, that when God himself takes up residence inside of you, that's when eternal life began. And so the hope of his calling doesn't start in the hereafter. It starts at this moment. And every one of us has a journey. Every one of us has a path. 
every one of us has a summons to spend the rest of eternity with him. But it starts right now, and that's what I call your destiny. That's what destiny is all about. It's about doing what God has designed for you to do. It's about Psalm 139. He formed me in the secret places. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, O God. My soul knows it quite well. When I was wrought in secret, you know, all this euphemism, but basically he's talking about being pregnant. And, uh, and what he's saying there is he's saying, I formed you for a purpose. It says all of your days were written out for you when as yet there was none of them. Isn't that intense? Now, it sort of begs the big question of, well, do you believe in predestination or not? And um, I won't go into that very deeply, but let me just say this. I believe that the whole argument that's been going on for about 2,000 years, maybe 1,700 years, between those who believe in the sovereignty of God, that God ordains everything, and those who believe that God in His sovereignty ordained free will, human will, and so we have this kind of argument that's gone back and forth in the body of Christ over the years. Well, I just believe that the argument's even on a, on a faulty foundation altogether. Because I don't believe the misunderstanding is about the sovereignty of God or the will of man. I believe that the misunderstanding is about the nature of time. Because God doesn't live in time. He lives outside of time. But He interacts with all time at the same time, in His time. <laughs> did, did you get that? I'm still trying to figure it out. So it's like, if you got it, then explain it to me later. But okay, so God doesn't live in time. He lives outside of time in a place called what? Eternity, right? So he lives outside of time. And so he's interacting with all time because time is, is, a, is a construct. It's a, it's a very limited thing. It has a beginning and an end. God exists outside of that beginning and end. So therefore, he can interact with every single point of time at the same time from his time. Okay, so therefore, he can both be absolutely sovereign and yet still allow limited free will within the construct of time at the same time. You guys get that? So does God ordain your destiny? Absolutely, he does. But do you have a choice? Absolutely, you do. And the confluence of his ordination of your destiny and your participation in your destiny is literally reality. Okay, that's, it's a dance that we dance. And even when you disobey or even if you check out on your destiny for 20 years and then re-engage it, still the God of destiny is working with you and in you to bring about the outcome that he longs for you. Okay? So he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Or as it says in, in Ephesians 1, he works all things after the counsel of his own will. Okay, but here's the deal, is I, I think of it like a, a keyboard, you know, look, look at this piano, which was so wonderfully played earlier by our dear sister Karis, and so as you look at it, it's 88 keys, right, and it's, and it's basically, we're trapped in time, we're trapped in the chromatic scale, so we're going ba 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 but God is like a master pianist, but he has a hundred fingers on every hand. And he sits down and cracks his fingers, and he can play the low notes and the high notes at the same moment. So he can play the moment of your conception right now. And he can play the moment of that weird feeling you got in your stomach at kindergarten. You know, he can play that right now. But he can also play the song of you a 100 years from now, sitting with him forever at the wedding supper of the Lamb. 
Because He is the God of your life. He's the God of eternity. He's the God that interacts with every single stage of who you are. And He's working all things together. He's writing the music. That's why it says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are His workmanship. We are His poema, His poem. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God ordained beforehand that we would walk in them. That that dynamic is who you are. And God is in the process of composing your symphony right now. And he's playing the, the melody of your life. Okay, so when he says he wants us to know what is the hope of his calling, he's saying, I want you to engage who I've called you to be. I want you to understand that you have a destiny, that you have a purpose, that you have been designed for something very specific. And some of you are onions. And some of you are carrots. I won't point any fingers, but I think there's some carrots in the room. Some of you are garlic, you know? And it's like, you only need a certain amount of a habanero chili or, you know, it's like some of you are Brussels sprouts. It's like every one of us is different. Every one of us has different qualities and characteristics. But ultimately, if we're able to understand our calling, we're able to bring our vegetables and throw it in the stone soup, something happens. There's a synergy, there's a dynamic that begins to occur that ultimately produces this thing called fellowship, right? It's this thing called community, all right? And so what happens is, as you bring that which you are, the hope of his calling in your life, that you come and you present that to the Lord. You come into the, the stew of faith. All of a sudden, we're all enriched because you're giving us that unique flavor that is uniquely you. Okay? So that's number one. The hope of, he wants each of us to know that. Each of us to be certain of what our vegetable is or our hunk of meat is. Okay. Okay. But the second thing I want you to look at is that he also wants us to know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Guess number two. Okay, what does that mean? Because again, these, these long run-on sentences, I can't figure them out unless you kind of do what you did in, you know, in, in grammar school where you had to kind of parse the sentence, right? So the riches of the glory. So we get riches, which we know. Okay, so the glory is very rich. Okay, but the glory is of the inheritance. Okay, so there's an inheritance that each one of us gets, and he talks about that in, in verses 1 through 15 pretty clearly. Okay, but the thing I want you to notice is where is that inheritance to be held? Where is it sitting? Okay, look at the last prepositional phrase. Where is it? Somebody yell it out. It's in the saints. Okay, what does that mean? That means that every one of us in this room, we have a very rich father. Every one of us in this room has an inheritance coming to us, but our father's so wise and he understands our propensity to isolate ourselves so much that God has actually taken a piece of your inheritance and put it in the person next to you. The riches of the glory of what you deserve from God is not going to come to you directly from God. It's going to come as you begin to dig it out of the heart of the person next to you. Sounds pretty cannibalistic, but it's not. It's actually a really wonderful kind of communion that we get to experience because ultimately part of what I need to become fully who I'm called to be is not going to be found in me and it's not going to be found in him and it's not going to be found here. It's going to be found in you. And so I need to, 
I need to unify with you. I need to come into your life. I need to have you come into my life. So turn to the person next to you and say, some of my inheritance is inside of you. <laughs> I want it back right now. <laughs> Give it up. Cough it up right now. It's like, no, seriously, like that's what we have is we have this idea. You know, we're here. It's like, I cannot live without you. I cannot, I cannot, the soup is incomplete unless you bring your onion or you bring your potato. How many potatoes in the room? <laughs> the couch potatoes. I'm, I'm kind of like, there's a certain moments where I just think TV watching is probably like the best life gets. But um, how do you dig it out of each other? See, this is what we, we call, you know, finding the gold in one another, right? We use those phrases. But really, it's a very practical thing. I want to spend time with you. I want to understand the unique you that you are so that I can partake of the blessing that's buried in you. And sometimes i got to dig through some dirt. Sometimes i got to dig down really deep before I find the gold. Because the gold that's inside of you isn't always just sitting in big nuggets on the surface. And sometimes the vein is very deep. You know, it says like, um, you know, wisdom in the heart of a man is like deep waters, but a man of understanding will dig it out. They'll pull it out. See, this is why we fellowship. It's not because you're supposed to. It's not because you ought to. It's not because it'll keep you safe from sin, although those are all true and those are good things. But the fact is, I fellowship. I go to church. I attend things like resurgence because I need an infusion of what you carry in my life. It's not a matter of even some beneficent kind of, you know, like idealism that's in me. It's, it's an absolute desperate necessity that I will not become fully me apart from you becoming fully you. So it's in my best selfish interest to help you become everything that Jesus created you to be and vice versa. It's in your best self-interest to also help me. And as we work together and we work on one another and as we spend time together loving one another and carefully drawing out one another and making room for another one another and forgiving one another. In fact, if you want to do a great word study, study the phrase one another in Scripture. It's just so good. And there's so many things that the Scripture says about one another. That if we could just do one another really well, I'll tell you something. Edmonton is just, it's just going to start falling like dominoes to Jesus. Seriously, Jesus said that. He said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples because the love that you have for one another. I love you. You love me. We get into each other's lives. We, we pull out the best in each other. And what happens is, is a beautiful stew, a beautiful stone soup. Because Jesus obviously is the rock of our salvation. He's the one who's just kind of like, okay, I'm going to throw him in the pot. That's all we got is Jesus. But then all of a sudden, as you come and you come and you come and you come, pretty soon we round out all the flavors. We've got something beautiful to be able to break the power of isolation in the world around us, to draw people out of their embattled homes into a community of love and care and nurture. Okay, so hope of his calling the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, the final thing, 
is what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us. See, there's something about the body of Christ that when it is individualized, when it's isolated, when the different pieces are apart from one another, there's no fire that can burn. You know, I was just uh, actually instructing uh, some young kids the other day in how to build a fire. You've got to have the logs close enough together to generate the heat, right? There's got to be a proximity. Now, there has to also be heat. There has to also be, um, there also has to be oxygen. But there has to be proximity for the fire to really build. And so part of what you guys are doing is building that proximity. You're coming together. You're burning and you're, you're flaming one another. There's a synergy that happens. You guys know what the word synergy means? Anybody want to venture a, a yell of what synergy is? Okay, the simple definition is that the whole is greater than the sum of each individual part. You guys understand that? So what comes together at the final end, in other words... Well, the way it's said in Scripture is one shall chase a thousand, two shall chase ten thousand. There's a multiplied dynamic that happens when we come together. So he's saying when each one of you understands the hope of God's calling in your life individually, and then you come together and understand that you need to work together to draw out one another, and you start unifying in that incredible dynamic of each individual calling coming together to serve one another, this third dynamic happens which is called synergy. It's all the puzzle pieces coming together. It's all of the components. You know, all the components of an iPhone sitting by itself will do nothing but you put them together. And this has more uh, computer power than, than the computers that got us to the moon. You guys understand that? That there's a synergy that happens when the pieces come together, and that's what's being described here. Let me read it to you one more time. It says this. It says, whoa. My Bible turned. All right. It says, What is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? In other words, you want to know what it's like when every member in the body of Christ begins to step into their calling together in community? It's basically like the dead body of Jesus coming to life again. That's what it's like. Or it's like Boris Karloff standing over Frankenstein. Just kidding. But you guys know what I'm talking about, right? All these different pieces of the body sewn together. Then all of a sudden it's like, fire! You know, and then it's alive! You know, it's like all of a sudden we begin to get up and we, we, we don't, actually we walk really nicely. We don't walk like Frankenstein. But I think some churches are kind of like Frankenstein, but... But I can say that because I'm a pastor. You guys can't say that or I'll slap you. You know, it's like uh, none of you can criticize. But anyway. But think about this. Think about the incredible power that's released. You know, I had a friend who was part of a thing called the Latter Rain Revival. It actually happened like right along the Canadian border. I don't know if you guys know that. And mostly in Canada. Okay, but there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in 1948. And the Holy Spirit actually spoke at that time and said this was to commemorate the refounding of the nation of Israel, which was interesting. And, and you know, the latter rain went off in some weird directions, and so I, I can't endorse many of the things that it became, but there was a season that was so powerful. And this friend told me about it. He said, you know, I was there. And he says, you know what happened? The Holy Spirit fell in that room, and people got touched in such a powerful way that every single person, their gifts were just like right on the shelf. 
So if you had cancer, you could go to sister so-and-so and she'll pray for you and you'd be healed. Or if you had a problem with smoking or some other addiction, you can go to brother so-and-so and he would pray for you and you'd be instantly set free. In other words, the, the gifts and the manifestation of God's presence were so amazing. And that's even why they went into a little bit of error because they just thought, this is it. This is the moment we've all been waiting for, the, the manifestation of the sons of God. They fell into an error because they didn't understand what the Holy Spirit was doing for about two years. Every single person in the, in the congregations knew exactly who Jesus had called them to be. They knew the hope of their calling, and they also knew the riches of the glory of their inheritance of one another. But then it, it, he said, uh, actually in about 1950, he said, the Holy Spirit just receded a bit. But there was a prophecy that accompanied that recession that said this. said that this is going to be the norm in the last days. The Lord says, I am poised to visit the earth in the last days in a way that allows every single member of the body of Christ to step into the fullness of who I've designed them to be. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine operating in that level of victory, that level of authority, that level of gifting and purity of heart, that level of love and compassion, unhindered by all of the junk that seems to so clutter our lives right now, being fully given? That's what he's describing here. The exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand, far above all principality and power. What are the principalities over Edmonton? What are the mights and dominions over this place? What is blinding the minds of them that don't believe, lest the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus should shine into them? What are the hindrances that are presenting themselves in the culture of Edmonton today? Because I'll tell you something, when we discover and fulfill this level of community, it says that we will be like Jesus who is set high above every principality, every power, every point of warfare, every blinder of the enemy, every difficulty, that we will rise above them all. And that's kind of how he finishes this passage in an amazing way. As he says, he says this. He says, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. And he's put all things under his feet. And he gave him, Jesus, to be the head over all things, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Isn't that awesome? We're the body of Christ. We are the very cells of his body. Each one of us entirely unique. Each one of us, our own little particular vegetable, our own little hunk of beef, you know, our own little, it's like each one of us is so uniquely different and yet so absolutely essential to feed a village. Because you know what? Not only in the story did the village get fed, but the village was also healed because of the stew. That isolation, that fear, that sense of self-preservation that dominated the village as a result of the warfare and difficulty was completely broken because they came together and they feasted together. 
And I believe that's what, at least as I am understanding it, what resurgence is all about, is creating a feast for the body of Christ, inviting everybody to come. And yet they're also part of the food that's being served as well. You're both the eater and the eight. Did I say that right? I don't know. <laughs> You're both the partaker and the partaken of because we need one another. Amen? Amen. So I just am, am in awe of you, and it's just a joy to be with you. I'm excited about tomorrow night. I believe we're going to step into some Holy Spirit stuff. But right now, I just want to do a little bit of ministry, if we can. Okay, so well, why don't we, can I just have the worship team come on up, if that's okay? I don't know if you guys are around, but, but um, I want you to just close your eyes with me right now. And I want you to just allow the Lord to begin to speak to you about who you are in Him. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now to begin to move among us. Now, if you, if you have a prayer language, just begin to speak softly in your prayer language. Just say, okay, Jesus. Just right now, just let the Holy Spirit just begin to saturate your heart. Oh, Jesus. I know we have some uh, prayer team's people here as well. Can I invite you guys to come up and stand with me? Those of you who are part of the um, Resurgence uh, prayer ministry team, could you guys come on? And um, But the first group of people that I really want to pray for right now is I just want to pray for those of you who are feeling like you just don't have a clue. You don't have a clue of what your calling and destiny is right now. Or maybe you've actually been hurt. That happens sometimes where, where maybe words were spoken over you. Like, don't be an idiot, kid. You're never going to become that. Be realistic. You're never going to be great in those ways. Maybe a teacher said something like that. Maybe even your own parents did. Or maybe you just said it to yourself. Maybe the enemy was speaking to you and just kind of robbed you of your dreams, of the possibilities of who you could become. So even talking about the hope of his calling just doesn't feel very hopeful to you. If that's you, could you just stand to your feet? We want to pray for you. We want to break off every hindrance, every word that's been spoken, every pronouncement that's ever been made over you that, that chipped away at that sense of, of hunger and desire, that sense of being somebody for whom God would smile upon you, that He'd want to partner with you, that He'd want to be with you. If that's you, stand to your feet. Don't be, don't be afraid. I, I've, I've stood up to this, to this one altar call. I've done it before myself because I've been through disappointments. Sometimes I've dreamed and I've gone, gone, gone after my dream and then hit a brick wall. And I thought, okay, be realistic. So I believe God wants to actually break the power of those hindrances right now. Tonight's the night. 
tonight's a night where the, the prayer of Paul is going to be fulfilled inside of you, if you will. So I'd like you actually, if you, if you wouldn't mind, can I have you guys come stand up here? Stand right in front of us just as a sign to everybody. We're standing for you. We're standing for breakthrough in our lives. We're standing for a revelation, for a restoration of God's calling, of His divine purpose. So as you're standing here, and I want all of you guys to be praying for these guys. This is your inheritance up here. They're starting to rediscover themselves. You need to extend your hand. Could you guys extend your hand to these guys and just begin to pray for them? See, pieces of your inheritance have been buried under a pile of broken dreams. And the Lord's going to start to break those off now. Can we play a little quieter? Shh, shh, shh. Thank you, Jesus. Now just let the Holy Spirit begin to minister to you right now. Just close your eyes. Put out your hands just to receive. And let Him begin to touch you. So Father, let your power increase right now. Can I ask the prayer teams to begin to move among these guys? Just begin to pray. Lord, let your power increase right now. Just as the Lord gives you words for them, just begin to speak over them. Thank you, Father. All disappointments be washed away. All disappointments be taken away. Every failure right now. I just feel like there's, there's some of you who have struggled with failure. Like there's a couple of you, even it's like moral failure. Like God's not going to bless me because I sinned or because somehow you feel like you're like Esau that sold your birthright. Keep praying, you guys. Come on, this is, this is our inheritance coming to the surface right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we break every single hindrance. And I just release, in the name of Jesus, the hope of your calling. Right now, Lord, just release hope. In Jesus' name, I release hope right now. I release hope. Lord, that the, that the dreams would just begin to rise. Like, I just see like, a, um, like the uh, Wright brothers with a, a flying machine just beginning to rise again. Like a flying machine just beginning to, to take, take wind again. Or like a ship that's, that's about to hoist its sails again. Lord, just release your presence right now. Release more of your presence right now, God. We just ask for more. Ask for more right now, Jesus. Now, Father, I'm asking that you would speak. Speak to each heart, Lord. Begin to speak destiny over your daughter. Lord, just begin to release that sense of promise. Release the promise of heaven. Release the promise of heaven. I just break the power of fear in Jesus' name. I break the power of the fear of failure. Just break it off of you right now in Jesus' name. 
No more fear of failure. No more fear of failure. And I just feel like the Lord is just saying that you're, it's not too late. You say, well, that train has left the station. No, it hasn't. There's another train coming right now. Just release more, Lord. More of your power. More of your presence, Lord. More, Lord Jesus. Unless you're being prayed for, I'd like you to just look at me for a moment. I just say, we need you. We need you to rise up. We need you to become who God intended you to be. Our blessing depends on you becoming you fully and freely and completely. Our future as a church, the future of Edmonton, the future of the harvest here depends on each of you rising up, each of you becoming. And if you're not sure of what your destiny is, begin to explore. Just begin to turn over stones. Begin to dream. And if you can't come up with one dream, then, then come up with a hundred. Seriously. Like, don't let the, the perfectionistic spirit bind you right now. But we just release freedom, freedom, freedom. Release freedom in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Now just speak freedom. Just extend your hands one more time in the audience and just speak freedom over these people. Freedom to dream. Freedom to hope. Freedom to quest. Freedom to release grace and presence and power. And now, can I ask all of you in, in the congregation to stand? Could you guys stand with me? Because I feel like there's some of you that are supposed to come up here and just stand next to these brothers and sisters. Could you do that for me? Could you just come up and stand by their side? We're not going to release you in ministry per se, but we want you to stand with them as a sign. As a sign of the riches of the glory. We need some people up front as way. Make your, make, your, make your way up front. The riches of the glory of His inheritance. Three nights ago I had a dream. And I believe this dream was about resurgence. We were in a smaller room, but I saw this happening. I saw people standing with people. I saw arms around each other's shoulders. I saw people looking in each other's eyes and declaring blessing over one another. Can you just turn to each other and just say, we need you. I need you in my life. Come on. Just do it. I need you in my life. I need the inheritance that's in you for me. I need God in you to connect with God in me. Don't be afraid to look in each other's eyes. Don't be afraid to connect.
This connection is where the grace is flowing. It's the body coming together. Look around the room. Look, look at the body. Let's do it out in the, in the congregation as well. Just put your hand on somebody. Say, I need you. You're my brother. You're my sister. We're family. We're world changers together. We're part of a community. We're a tribe. A tribe together. A transformational tribe. That's who we are. Men and women. Sons and daughters. Brothers and sisters. Connecting with one another. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. No more isolation. No more separation. No more competition. But we just bless you with convergence, with cooperation with connection, with the release of the wealth of heaven that's buried in each other's hearts. We just release that wealth. I'll share one more thing and then I'll turn it over to Travis. So come on up. But today we are talking and we are dreaming. And... Um, the word came up, the word, I was asking about Canada. And the word came up that Canada is a commonwealth country. And I said, that is a great word for resurgence. Resurgence is a kingdom commonwealth. It's a heavenly commonwealth. It's men and women, sons and daughters, bringing their wealth and putting it in common with one another. It's opening up our hearts and connecting with each other to bring transformation to one another and then together to bring transformation to the world around us. From different churches, different denominations, different backgrounds, different vocations, we come together under one name, the name of Jesus, and for one purpose, to catalyze transformation, revival in our region. So can I ask you guys to just close your eyes with me one more time. I want to speak a word of blessing, and then I'm going to have Travis. Okay. Then we're just going to worship. But Father, in the name of Jesus, I release your blessing upon this gathering of men and women. May this be like a massive gold mine. May this be a diamond mine, O oh God. May this be a, a treasure chest filled with the jewels of heaven, O oh God. And that every single person in this room would know exactly who they are in you and who you are in them. And may we bind our lives together to provide a commonwealth for the city of Edmonton and for the nation of Canada so that this land would be saved. Lord, be with each one of us, Lord, and bring transformation to us and through us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you. Let's worship Jesus.